Welcome everyone to another episode of Dialectics. Today we are going to have a conversation with a special guest, Taifa Alexander, director of the CRT board program at the UCLA School of Law. So thanks Taifa for joining us today. Absolutely, it's my pleasure. Nice. So I'm just going to give a brief background on Taifa and her amazing work and all her values and her pursuit of racial justice. So Taifa Natalie Alexander was born and raised in the south side of Jamaica, Queens, where she attended college at St. John's University. In 2017, Taifa earned her JD from Georgetown Law and later earned her LLM from the UCLA School of Law in 2021, where she specialized in critical race studies and graduated at the top of her class. Taifa's legal studies, research, and career have focused on the advancement of equity, justice, and anti-racism within higher education, and she has been recognized by both national and state higher education organizations for her ability to create more equitable campus climates across the country. Taifa has published several articles, including We Can't Breathe, How Top Law Schools Can Resuscitate an Inclusive Climate for a Minority and Low-Income Law Students in the Georgetown Journal of Modern Critical Race Perspectives, and Chopped and Screwed, Hip-Hop from Cultural Expression to a Means of Criminal Enforcement in the Harvard Journal of Sports and Entertainment Law. She is currently working on a chapter to be included in her forthcoming book, Revising the Curriculum and the Co-Curriculum to Engage Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion to assist colleges and universities in their efforts to incorporate critical race theory and anti-racist pedagogy into multidisciplinary curricula. Prior to her current appointment as a CRT Forward Product Director at UCLA School of Law, Taifa served as Assistant Dean of Students for Diversity and Leadership Development at a small private liberal arts college in South Carolina. And in her free time, when she's not busy doing all this work, this amazing work, she enjoys hiking the Santa Monica Mountains with her husband and listening to reggae and 90s R&B. So again, Taifa, thank you. We welcome you. We really appreciate you for coming on today. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. So jumping off of your biography, your work really shows a commitment to issues of racial justice and social justice. And I was hoping you could share and explain more about that commitment and elaborate on what brings you to this type of work. Sure, absolutely. Well, growing up in Southside Jamaica, Queens, to immigrant parents from Jamaica, there was really an understanding of how the world was operating. And for me, I thought that, you know, this isn't right. Right. Um, in understanding how people were stopped and frisked on the streets of New York um, and understanding or receiving public assistance benefits and the, I guess, inequities that I saw in how um, parents relied on these services and were then um, asked to engage in uh, different sorts of programs and resources that didn't necessarily get to the root of the cause of the problems that they were experiencing. And so all of those things really led me to study legal studies at St. John's University, also in Queens, New York, um, where I learned more and was exposed to these different ideas as it relates to equity and racial justice. And so from there, I decided to um, earn my law degree and enrolled at 
Georgetown University Law Center, where I was able to connect with and for the first time be exposed to critical race theory scholars through their work. Um, and it blew my mind, quite literally, um, to finally be able to have the words to describe your lived experience is um, something that I had not been exposed to until that point in time. And um, I'm so grateful to those scholars, to those critical race theory scholars for their work, uh, for their commitment um, to racial justice and for sharing um, their thoughts and ideas and concepts and, and tenets around the theory to help advance um, racial justice. So that's essentially where my passion comes from. My passion comes from community, uh, from my people, um, from the struggle, right, that I witnessed um, in my neighborhood, uh, within my own family, and the commitment to ensuring that um, we really critique those struggles to learn how we can overcome them as a community um, to ensure justice and equity for all. Wow. Well, thank you. That I mean, one one part of what you said that really resonates with me is just not really having words for your experience until you get to a space right. that puts it into or gives you a vocabulary for what you're experiencing. Like you're talking about seeing your family have to navigate different systems or just the different mm -hmm. inequities and the ways that people are treated and maybe not having the well, you do have the knowledge for it because it's your experience, but you don't have the words to explain exactly. what you're going through. Um, and mm -hmm. you talked about how critical race theory has meant that for you, or that helped you to bring power to your experiences by putting words into it. And yeah. I was wondering if you could share more about what is critical race theory and if you could provide some history on the, the origins of critical race theory. Sure, so critical race theory or CRT for short, is a practice that helps us understand how race and racism shape laws and policies and structures despite civil rights advancements and is committed to changing the laws that have produced and reified racial inequality over time. Um, CRT was founded by a diverse group of anti-racist legal scholars and professors in the 70s and 80s. And since then, there's been an emergence of scholarship that stems from the framework of CRT to deconstruct and reconstruct the critical understanding of how historical subordination has operated across different social identities. And so some of those theories include uh, Latina, Latino, critical race theory, or Latcrit. Uh, there's also ability, critical race theory, or discrit, and uh, many, many others. Um, so it's a group of a group of scholars who got together mm -hmm. to do like more grassroots work and grassroots anti-racist education. Um, how did it transition to like you know now? I'm a student at UCLA, you're a graduate of UCLA, it being institutionalized into like there being an entire department at UCLA Law. Yeah, so the Critical Race Studies Program or CRS at UCLA Law was founded by 
some of those same legal scholars who have been influencing law and policy for, for decades. And so as the nation's premier setting for studying the intersection of race and the law, CRS has been a site dedicated to training practitioners and scholars and advocates committed to advancing racial justice for the past 20 years or so. Wow. So this is a, I don't know, it's interesting in, in a lot of like recent news conversations, it seems as though CRT is something that kind of emerged recently or in the past two or three years, but you're describing a history that starts like decades ago. So why, what do you, or what's the reason why it's becoming so prominent right now, or there's such a backlash to CRT right now, given that it's been around for decades? Um, right. There, is there, are there certain circumstances on why it's the backlash we're seeing right now? Yes, and I have a very long answer <laughs> for your question because it may be helpful here to share more about an intervention of critical race theory and answering this question. So one of the contributions of critical race theory is that it asks us to question, or better yet, to critique the notion salient in traditional civil rights discourse. And that notion is that racial progress is linear. And so to be clear, there is no doubt that as a society, we are in a far better place now than we were in the past. CRT doesn't deny this. Instead, CRT asks us to consider whether racial progress in this country feels more like three steps forward and two steps back. So for example, in 1865, enslavement was abolished, which was definitely a civil rights win. But then Black Codes, Jim Crow, and Juan Crow segregation was established, which was obviously a civil rights loss. But then in 1954, the Supreme Court in Brown versus Board of Education found that separate but equal violated the laws of this country. Another civil rights win. But then even as recent as 1990, some elementary schools in Texas we're still very much racially segregated. So this ebb and flow of a peak of civil rights progress followed by a valley of civil rights losses or this race reform and retrenchment as detailed in Kimberly Crenshaw's um, 1987 article does not discount that we are in a better place now than we were in the past, but it begs the question, even if we're better now, is this better? good enough. And so the backlash that we are seeing now against critical race theory, as well as anti-racist teaching, training, and education is representative of the decline or retrenchment from the unfulfilled capacity for transformational change or reform we experienced as a global community shortly following the brutal televised murder of George Floyd. So after George Floyd's murder, uh, public concern for focused on how existing practices and procedures may have been reproducing or entrenching racial inequality, questions of structural racism and the demand for attention to equality was prominently featured in public discourse and led to the largest civil rights movement of our time. So considering this civil rights movement, the COVID-19 pandemic, and hotly contested national elections, 
government agencies, educators, and private businesses even launched initiatives grounded in anti-racism, right? So this was the potential for transformational change here. But that potential, that reform um, was quickly met by this um, retrenchment of some who resisted these initiatives and took steps to deflect these reforms and commitments to anti-racism. And that's the backlash that we're currently seeing. So the most salient form of backlash though has come in the form of a mischaracterization of CRT and any tangentially related concepts like anti-racism, diversity, equity, and inclusion and mobilizing of that mischaracterization to attack the theory itself and all those related concepts. And I think that's an important point to make when um, CRT is being discussed in public discourse, a lot of the times the true definition and meaning of critical race theory, as I described earlier in the interview, is not the CRT that um, is being marshaled in these attacks on the theory. I also, I think it's so interesting, you talked about like the central um, interference or the central guiding principle is that, mm -hmm. you know, we take three steps forward and then we take one step back. That's such a salient right. intervention just because I think just growing up, you learn, like, you know, you hear that quote, the moral arc of the universe bends towards, right. or it's long, but it bends towards justice. So you think like, okay, mm -hmm. we're getting better. We're not in, people, people aren't in, that we see aren't enslaved. People are you know, living in diverse societies, at least in our like bubbles on our coastal bubbles. Um, right. So you think that things are going forward and it kind of, I can see backlash also coming because it's kind of a paradigm shift to say like, oh, things aren't just going in one direction. There's all these other examples that may be less hidden that CRT is raising up and that you, you've raised okay. up. Um, so it shows, it, it is a paradigm shift of, in your thinking to, to think that with time and progress, you know, the old people, who, the old racist folks or whatever, they'll change their ways or like they'll be new generations of more progressive folks and not learning that like when institutions are steeped in a certain way, things are like, there'll always be a back and forth and it's more cyclical than just linear. So exactly. I, can, I can see why the backlash just comes because it's just like changes and shifts people's ways of understanding the world that we navigate in and that we live in. Exactly. Uh, I also wanted to ask, so we, we spoke a little bit about the backlash. Why do you think there's a specific fear that CRT will infiltrate primary schools, especially when this theory does seem to come out of legal academia? Um, we do see it in other university spaces and in grassroots educational anti-racist like learning groups. But why is there the specific fear that it's going to infiltrate primary schools? What is it about like young children that really scares people? Right. Um, I don't want to laugh at what is it about young children that, <laughs> that scares people. Or that, that the fear that it'll infiltrate young children, I should say. Right, right. So um, that's a great question, right? And so at the... I think it's important to also share a little bit more about some of the backlash specifically, if that's okay. And so yeah. um, 
thinking at the federal level, the first um, instance of backlash that we saw was um, from the now revoked Trump administration equity gag order. Uh, at the local level in Central York uh, School District in Pennsylvania, we've seen bans on books like I Am Malala and Fry Bread, A Native American Family Story and other resources. At the state level in Ohio, we've seen the revocation of equity and anti-racism policies that were implemented after the murder of George Floyd. And at the state non-legislative level, we've seen governors establish tip lines to report teaching of critical race theory, like the tip lines in Virginia. And so essentially across the country, there have been these restrictions on teaching curriculum and training that limit the access to truthful information about uh, race and systemic racism. And the reason, in my opinion, that there is this fear is because the more we teach children about the true and accurate history of this country, the more we can equip them with the tools necessary to address some of the nation's most pressing uh, social and racial justice issues. Um, and so the question is then, well, why is that? something to fear. And I think it's something to fear for folks who are marshalling this CRT disinformation campaign, because it challenges the current uh, structure of um, society, right? Calls for reparations, mm -hmm. calls for addressing environmental justice issues. You know, all of these things are um, equity concerns that, if addressed, would challenge the current power structure that already exists. And so um, I laughed before at the framing of the question of being afraid of children, but it, there is something to it, right? Mm -hmm. There is this idea that, um, you know, the the next society of leaders um, have the capacity to address some of these concerns, um, address some of these societal issues, um, but they're not being equipped with the tools necessary in order to do so, in order not to repeat history, right? Uh, and so in, in my opinion, that is because information is powerful, knowledge is powerful. And um, the restriction of that allows for the current power structure to remain in place. Definitely. And it's, it kind of circles back again to what you mentioned early on about your own experience and just having knowledge of things, but you don't get, you don't get the word to describe your experiences until you get to like a very elitist space to right. a diversity right. space. So mm -hmm. yeah, how powerful could it be if students are learning these things early on, learning about like truthful histories or different things like that in elementary school and middle school, they'll be equipped with tools early on to like do like systemic questioning, critical questioning about right. like, hey, why is it that, why is it that like my parents have to experience this? Why is it that my brother's getting stopped and frisked? Why is it that these things are exactly. happening? 
So I, yeah, I definitely agree. And, and it seems a lot like that, just having that vocabulary early could really empower people. Right. And then it's also when this um, civil rights movement started in the summer of 2020, what we really saw was this nascent movement among teachers to share information about a true and accurate history, right? And then to make connections between that history and current moments. Like for example, a teacher uh, describing redlining in Chicago and then connecting that history of a racialized policy and law to the current wealth, uh, the current inequities or misdistributions and wealth accumulation and upward mobility and environmental um, injustice, right? And really making that connection clear between the history of the country, the true and accurate history of the country and where we are today, not as um, any sort of exercise in assigning guilt or blame to any one person or individual or to make people think that America is just a horrible country, but instead to really demonstrate that, you know, the, this is the experience, this is the lived experience of people of color. This is how race played a role in this policy or law. And these are the outcomes as a result that we're living through today. And how, I, how might we think of ways in order to address that, right? And so that's what we really saw with and among teachers in, um, in K through 12 education following the summer of 2020. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, especially just on that same note of thinking about ways that teachers were sharing truths about the accurate history of the, the founding of the nation. Um, that seems sort of in alignment with the work that CRT Forward does and the goals of CRT Forward, which is primarily to do truth telling and to also just right. track, track legislative attacks on CRT. Um, I was wondering if you could speak more about the goals of CRT Forward and why you feel it's necessary to have an initiative like CRT Forward at UCLA Law. Yeah, so through the CRT Forward tracking project with the support of some amazing research assistants, um, we have been able to identify, track, and analyze local, state, and federal anti-CRT activity, or more specifically, activity that attempts to restrict access to truthful information about critical race theory, race and systemic racism. And so through the tracking project, we have learned that at the time of our interview today, at least 495 anti-CRT measures have been introduced across all levels of the government. So that's wow. state, federal and local from Alaska to New Hampshire and nearly everywhere in between, including some more progressive states like California and New York. And so the goal of CRT Forward is to be able to demonstrate the patterns and trends in the assault on critical race theory to assist advocates, journalists, litigators, and academics 
in developing a comprehensive understanding of the the pervasiveness of anti-CRT activity in the country. And as a result, the impact of the CRT disinformation campaign on truth in teaching, training, and research. So what what do you think would be next for the initiative? I know you talked a lot about the campaigns to track disinformation about CRT, but what do you foresee happening in the future for CRT Forward? It's a great question. So what I see next for the project, um, I think one of the things that draws me to critical race theory is that it is collaborative in nature, right? And so a lot of the CRT Forward project depends on the collaboration between everyone on the team. Um, So everyone, including research assistants, um, the faculty on the project, our faculty subcommittee, and our executive director of CRS and just many stakeholders who are equally passionate about this topic and this work. And so as a collective, as a group, as a community, we are in process of discussing a shift from um, the tracking project itself and really engaging substantively with current doctrine um, as it relates to the First Amendment um, and other doctrine to determine or to really engage with and learn how we might be able to contextualize this moment that we find ourselves in Mm -hmm. and what critical race theory might be able to say about it, right? So to put it more clearly, in this first phase of the CRT Forward uh, project, we have focused specifically on identifying and tracking and analyzing these anti-CRT measures and now have come to a point where we are prepared to be able to provide more substantive information to the public in the form of um, white papers and briefs and um, journal articles and lots of different modes of communication in order to contextualize these attacks in this current moment, but also to demonstrate the contributions of CRT, um, not only of the past and now, but also into the future. And so that's the next initiative for the project. Wow, that's really exciting. <laughs> A lot going yeah. on. I, wanna, I yeah. do wanna go back to something. You mentioned that there were 495 anti-CRT measures that have been introduced at all levels of government including local school boards, um, city council districts, county council districts, state attorney generals. So what what are these bills exactly saying? Or are there any trends or any like major themes that you see from these hundreds of bills that are coming out to um, this disinformation campaign that's coming out? Right, there are a lot of trends that we have 
noticed so far. One of the most um, one of the most interesting trends has been though, and I don't know if you or listeners to the podcast have noticed this, but there's been kind of this narrative in the media about the types of states that are introducing these anti-CRT measures, right? And so essentially the idea or the narrative that's being put forth is that these anti-CRT measures are only happening in um, red states, right? Or more conservative states. And so what we've found from the CRT Forward Tracking Project is not that um, these measures are only taking place in the American Deep South, but they're also taking place in local school boards across California. There are initiatives, there are anti-CRT measures that have been introduced in states like New York. Um, There are lots of activity in Colorado as well. And so one of the things that the CRT Forward Tracking Project has already demonstrated is that the assault on CRT and anti-racist teaching, training, and research is not limited to traditionally conservative states like Texas, Florida, Georgia, and South Carolina, but instead the assault on CRT has infiltrated nearly every state, conservative and liberal alike, including California where local school boards have enacted more anti-CRT measures at different school boards than any other state in the country. And so that's just um, one of the trends that we've noticed. And um, another trend that stems from the California activity in particular is that, um, is that once a user goes onto the CRT Forward Tracking Project website, they might notice a difference between the shading of Texas, for example, and California. And the reason for the difference in shading is that the darker shaded states uh, have introduced more activity than the lighter shaded states, right, at the state level. And so in a state like California, where it might not be possible to introduce anti-CRT legislation at the state level, there still is this local activity that is impacting hundreds of thousands of students in their um, everyday education Mm -hmm. um, and being prohibited from gaining access to resources and books and and training that would be supportive of their goal to learn truthful information about the history of the country. And so that's just one trend that we've noticed and um, subsidiary trends, I guess, based on that um, trend that we found in California local school boards. So you you mentioned a map in where listeners can see like darker states and know what that means or like lighter shaded mm-hmm. states. Where can people access this map in the website and all the resources? Right. So people can access the map and its resources at crtforward.law.ucla.edu. And so on that website, 
there's more information about um, the data, how the data has been um, curated or how the data has been collected. Um, there's an opportunity to view the data in both a map, interactive map form, as well as a table view. There's more information about the project, frequently asked questions, methodology, methodology um, and other resources that might be helpful to understanding um, critical race theory in general. Thank you. So crtforward.ucla.lawnet. Maybe I shouldn't say it. <laughs> we'll go with what you said earlier. Okay. <laughs> so um, what are what are some ways that, you know, a lot of folks that listen to dialectic are legal scholars or are students in law school. Um, so they have a particular inclination for, towards these issues. They want to do like social justice work, racial justice work, legal advocacy. What are ways both that community of legal scholars who primarily are the ones who listen to this podcast, um, mm -hmm. what are ways that they can bolster the work of CRT Forward, but then follow up outside of the legal community? How can other folks, organizers, community members, mm -hmm. other types of scholars support the work of CRT Forward? Absolutely. Um, so CRT Forward has um, a social media site on Instagram or social media account on Instagram. Um, so I would highly recommend following that. I would also recommend following CRS to stay up to date on um, new trends and things that are going on with not only CRT Forward, but also CRS as a, a program. And so those are two things that both legal scholars and non-legal scholars can do. Another thing um, it, that another thing that legal scholars can do um, is to really dive into the data. And this is for, I guess, another thing that anyone can do is okay. to really dive into the data on the website you know, check out what's going on in your home state or, um, you know, a neighboring state, because chances are, if you're living in the U.S., continental or otherwise, there is activity either in your state or surrounding your state. And so understanding how these activities are progressing in your state or in your area is going to be helpful information to better understand these attacks and um, the campaigns behind them. And so that would be my recommendation for, for anyone listening to this podcast and interested in learning more about um, the project and the assault on critical race theory. Another thing is that we are really interested as a team in getting this information out there to really combat this assault and this disinformation campaign and providing people with um, you know, true information, true and accurate information about what critical race theory really is and how the proliferation of these um, anti-CRT measures might really limit our ability 
as a country to fully realize our potential as a multiracial democracy. Mm-hmm. And so that's another thing. If folks are looking to write about this topic, feel free to cite the CRT forward tracking project or any of the other resources on the website um, to help get that information out there to help um, you know really ensure that the true and accurate telling of history is um, being told you know um, another thing is that for organizers and for folks that are engaged in Um, really resisting these efforts, this website and this tracking project um, is kind of set up to provide a lay of the land, right? So while organizers might be aware of one particular activity happening in one particular state, because the CRT Forward Tracking Project is an up-to-date resource Um, you know, you'd be able to check it ever so often and be able to see what else is going on somewhere else in the state or across the state or in a neighboring state that, you know, you might be interested in learning more about. And so those things are just a few things that might be useful for um, people who are listening to this podcast in particular. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's always important to provide like an action step. People feel really empowered and on fire listening to this information, learning about like different ways that people are trying to silence certain types of information or to just not allow like a variety of perspectives to be heard. So it's important to learn how like a regular person, anyone can contribute to this initiative to making sure that all types of histories are included, all types of perspectives are brought into the classroom space. So thank you for sharing those opportunities. Um, And with that, the the last question I have is just, if you had any closing words to share to our listeners that you hope they take away about the CRT Forward Project um, or critical race studies, critical race theory at large, um, but we really appreciate you for coming on to the podcast today to share more and to really inspire our listeners with tools that they can use in this continuing struggle for racial justice. Bless you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, one of the, I guess my, my final thought would just be that, you know, this assault has um, really infiltrated and invaded in some states the opportunity to be able to gain access to information that is transformational. Mm-hmm. And so um, in certain instances, that might be daunting, right, to see all of these activity and to say, ooh, I don't know. Right. <laughs> you know, this seems like a lot. And so another thing to note though about that is that in the process of sharing this information, 
CRS as a program is really speaking truth in a time when truth is being restricted, right? It's really providing people with the, in some ways, the same sort of language that critical race theory provided to me as a 3L at Georgetown, right? It's exposing some of these trends and some of these patterns to really demonstrate um, the transformational power of critical race theory. And that's something to be taken quite seriously, in my opinion, because this isn't necessarily a telling of the other side's story as much as it is about at this moment in time, really understanding what critical race theory has to say about this proliferation as a form of retrenchment and to allow us to imagine the, or allow us to not be limited in imagining the capacity for tremendous reform um, going forward. And so that's, that's one thing I want to leave um, listeners with this idea that um, it might feel like we're in it right now because we actually are. But um, in this moment, understanding our historical past through critical race theory and looking towards our future, the future holds tremendous capacity for reform. Thank you. That's really powerful. <laughs> yeah, and just yeah. knowing, like you said, just knowing our context and what we're working against, what we're up against is so helpful for knowing what lies ahead, what capacity we have, and yeah, what we're up against and what we can do with our collective power. So thank you again, and we really appreciate you for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.